Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, also, if you see the, uh, the sermon title, that is like the most Presbyterian title ever, Luke number 39, Praying Like a Christian, Part 1, right? So, um, it's the best I could do, I'm, I, I'm sorry. You know, sometimes we can uh, become so familiar with something that it loses its shine, right? B.B. Um, King sings, the thrill is gone, right? You've been married to someone long enough, you have to, you know, you kind of re-fall in love with them numerous times. You, you, sometimes... Uh, it could be anything. You know, the, the glow dims. Familiarity makes things dim. And we find ourselves, once again, in the need of being reawakened to the original beauty, being drawn in. Well, for the next few weeks, Luke is going to give us an opportunity to do that with what has been known the Lord's Prayer. Martin Luther said that the Lord's Prayer is the very best prayer that ever came to earth or that anyone would have ever thought up. And what he meant when he said that was this prayer is so radically different that anything any other human ever uttered or would have ever dreamed to utter. Um, because before, before Jesus, people, you just didn't pray like this. Um, before Jesus, the, the, the language of religion, you know, every religion has its language and its traditions that are put in place to kind of build walls of separation and yet Jesus here, like a D11 bulldozer, just comes in with this language that knocks all barriers down. All the religious stuff, and the, you know, he says, no. He says, if you are in me, then you are in. And so you pray from the position of an insider if you are in Christ. And you know, the source, the source of something makes all the difference, right? Um, I know some of you... Uh, raised catfish, and so y'all are familiar with like the catfish wars that happened 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and uh, there was a branding war between Delta Rays catfish, right? And uh, you have to read in the, the, the fine print to find out what Delta that came from, right? Because there was a big difference between the Mekon Delta catfish and the Mississippi Delta catfish, right? You know, which, which Delta makes all the difference? The source mattered for that. So what if you had the opportunity basketball players, uh, to ask Steph Curry to teach you how to, to shoot a, a jump shot, a three-point shot. Um, or soccer players, what if Lionel Messi came to your next practice and taught you how to strike a ball? Um, golfers, what if Tiger Woods, for whatever reason, showed up in Greenwood, Mississippi and offered a clinic on how to hit that stinger that he can hit? Like, what, if, what if Warren Buffett showed up at your house, and he offered to look over your finances and your investments, and he's going to give you bespoke, like custom-made investment advice just for you. Like, if that happened, like, I'm pretty sure that we would all be on the edge of our seats, right? That we're listening to every single word that they said, because we're getting the instruction from, like, the greatest of all time in that field. The source matters, right? And so, friends, this morning... We're getting instruction on prayer, uh, what it means to commune with God that is divinely sourced. So this isn't a human prayer. This is a, a prayer from God himself. 
And so how much more so should we be ready and just eager just to hear what Jesus has to say? But before we hear Jesus' teaching, just really two quick ways of remember we're always kind of deconstructing false things and reconstructing proper things. Um, two, two things by way of housekeeping before we even read uh, God's Word. First, uh, the title, I know we've talked about this before, but the title um, of this prayer is like way misleading, okay? Now, talk about bad branding. Um, because this isn't the, the Lord's prayer, right? There's a lot of this prayer that the Lord could never pray, nor would he pray. I mean, Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to ask for forgiveness. No, this is how Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, and so a, a better title would be, hey, this is your prayer, or this is the disciples' prayer, but it's been called the Lord's Prayer for almost 2,000 years, and so barring a, the artist formerly known as Prince situation, uh, we're just going to have to call it the Lord's Prayer, but you get it, right? This is not the Lord's Prayer. This is your, if you're a Christian, this is your prayer. Second, uh, astute readers will notice that Luke's uh, recording of the Lord's Prayer is a bit different from Matthew's recording of the Lord's Prayer, which has led some to say something like, see, I, just another contradiction in the Bible. Um, can't trust any of it, right? We, we, we throw it all out because of all these contradictions. Okay, but what if there was another explanation of these, these differences? Could it be that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer more than one time? Um, he probably taught it tons of times. And, and plus, we can see that, you know, that Matthew's version um, is implied in Luke's shorter version. Um, but, but here's the point, and, and maybe the difference is better, better highlight the point. As Kent Hughes argues, if anything, the differences better communicate Jesus' desire to teach a pattern for prayer rather than a rigid form to follow. Uh, so what it means is we're not enslaved, nor are we obligated to always follow this exactly how it is um, rigidly. Um, you, know, for example, you know, when Peter... When Peter thought he was going to walk on the water and he gets out on the water and he starts to sink, he just cried out, Lord, Lord save me, right? Uh, if, you had to, if we had to rigidly follow the structure of this prayer, he would have began with, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and he is too late at that point, right? I mean, he's underwater before he can get to, oh, and by the way, save me, please. So this isn't a rigid form of prayer, Okay. Um, but, but Jesus, the point in laying out even these two uh, examples of prayer is to give us a, a pattern that, in sh that shapes and informs the everyday prayer life of a Christian of what does it mean to pray like a Christian? And that's what we're going to see here. And so with that, um, let's pray, and then we'll read Jesus' words. Fathers, we have just sung, we, we need you. Uh, every hour we need you. Um, Lord, we ask that through your Spirit you would come and give us, give our souls the ability to pay attention, um, to, to glean what we can get from this. Uh, Father, teach us how to pray. Teach us what does it mean to pray like a Christian. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, okay, well, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Uh, we've talked about this before, the, the classic children's book uh, called Are You My Mother? Are You My Mother? Remember, it's that, it's that book about this little baby bird, right, that just kind of cracks out of its egg and finds itself in, it, in the nest, and there's no mama there. He's all, he's all by himself. It's kind of like my kids when they wake up and mama's out walking early in the morning. They're like, where's mama, you know? They're, um, so, the, so the baby bird leaves the nest, and it starts looking for its mama. And so the baby bird goes up to this cat. He didn't know what his mama looks like. Goes up to this cat, asks the question, are you my mother? And the, the bird goes on to ask that same question, really to everything and anything he comes into contact with. Uh, the bird came, you know, came across a chicken, a dog, a cow, a boat, an airplane. But none of those are the bird's mother. And in the end, fast forward to the end, you know, the, the baby bird does end up back in its nest safe and sound with its mother. You know, it's, it's a classic children's book. Are you my mother? Okay. Uh, Ray Cortez says that there's a little bird inside all of us uh, asking everything we come into contact with, are you my father? Are you my father? And now that we don't use those literal words, obviously, um, but, but that's what we're asking. You know, that's what most of the world is looking for in Success in bank accounts, in careers, spouses, dating relationships, dress sizes. It's essentially, are you my father? Are you my identity? Are, are you what makes me feel valuable and beautiful and safe? And, and even if you don't know it, like we are all born with this innate hunger and longing to be known and loved by a father, even if you don't know it. You know, I mean, it's crazy the things that have driven this thirst in life, right? It's, uh, it's driven much of the arts. I think we've mentioned this before, but, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up watching MTV just for sure that rock and roll was all about girls, cars, and money. For sure, that's what rock and roll is about. But legendary rock producer T-Bone Burnett said, no, that's just, that's, that's PR, right? Um, he said rock and roll is really about daddy. It's all about, it's, it's these men and women with significant daddy issues. He says it's one embarrassing scream of daddy from Bruce Springsteen to Kurt Cobain all the way down to Justin Bieber and then we can get into the coaching world and talk about Urban Meyer. It's all a son's cry of notice. It, it, it's a cry of am I enough for you dad? Have, have I done enough to get your love? Am I enough for you? And, and what's more is even those of us who had wonderful earthly fathers are still marked by this father hunger on a cosmic level because whether our brains know it or not, our souls know. And our souls keep the score. And, and our souls know that we were created to be known and loved in a cosmic, infinite way in relationship with our heavenly father. And our souls also know that because of the fall, that's not, that is not what we naturally have, that that was severed, it was lost. And so that's why... A lot of our world has a hard time finding themselves, and we fall for all this stuff. This is why so many people go on walkabouts and try to discover themselves. It's, it's because we're always trying to find the way back. This, this, this cosmic ache inside of us, finding our way back to what was lost. It says Chesterton famously said, 
Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. You know, every addiction, every pursuit, everything we do, everything we do is in some way asking the question, are you my father? Are you the way back to what was lost? Well, for us to pray like a Christian is for our souls to be met there. Like in the most visceral, deepest hurt that our soul has is to be met there. And so calling God Father, I mean, it doesn't sound very radical to us. We pray it all the time. But when Jesus uttered these words, we've got to understand the context that in the, the whole of the Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father 14 times, like only 14 times. And never once was it personal. It was always kind of like God is the Father of the nation, right? He's the Father. He's the general kind of Father. Um, no one, in the old, not even Father Abraham, spoke of God as my father. And so this is why the scribes and the Pharisees taught that there was this huge chasm, even in the language, this ginormous gap between man and God. And, of course, naturally it is because of sin. In fact, they thought that God was so transcendent in the Old Testament period that they didn't even call him by his name. You know, they, they, instead of calling God his covenant name, Yahweh, they just kind of made up a nickname for God, you know, Jehovah. You know, Jehovah isn't like an actual name. It's just kind of a man-made name for God. Um, and it was with good intentions, but, but how well do you really know someone if you don't use their real name? You know, how well do you know someone? And so every single Jew called God Jehovah, a name that was purposely manufactured to create distance between God and, and man. And it was into that culture that Jesus showed up. And this is kind of proof that, you know, this is like nobody does this. This is true here that Jesus showed up and he never one time called God Jehovah. He showed up calling God the most dear and intimate of titles, Abba. Father, which, you know, by the way, you know, Luke's shorter version is even more jarring than, than Matthew's because Matthew still has that cosmic distance of our Father which art in heaven. Luke just says, Father, Father. So, you know, the difference between praying like a pagan and praying like a Christian, really, it, it hinges completely on this, that if we are in Christ, the foundational awareness of all of our life and all of our prayers is that God isn't far and removed, um, but he is near and intimately involved in our lives. So what we see here is that real Christian prayer is familial. Um, and so with that said, um, five take. so here we're already to application. Five takeaways um, of what it means that we pray to God as our Father. First, Jesus implies here uh, that true prayer begins with adoption. You know, that because of Jesus... There's been a profound status change that we, the people formerly known as God-haters and enemies of God, uh, known to be without hope and without God in this world, we are brought in and redeemed and called sons and daughters. Y'all, it's, it, it's staggering that in adoption, God sees us, he sees you, as he sees Jesus. And we talk about privileges of being in Christ. Well, this is a biggie right here. As John opens his gospel, he says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Corley read it this morning, Romans 8, saying the same thing. But if you are in Christ, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are no longer cosmic orphans. You know, that, that cosmic father hunger that you feel like, it's, it's gone. But you are children of God, and if children, that means you're an heir. An heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. So, as, as a believer, there are two... And look, I, I hope this isn't just... I know how when we get so, we, you know, we can lose the glamour of even a sermon, right? Because I'm teaching you, you're sitting there, this is just what we do on Sunday morning, right? But I really hope that, that you, like, never get over this. Two words that we never get up, blow our minds every time as Christians is even, even as. Not as you're sitting here listening to a sermon, but as you go out and you're at Pillow Academy and you go out to your, at work, you're in your house, that because of adoption... Jesus said that God loves us even as he loves Jesus. And how much does God love Jesus? Okay, that's the reality in which we live if you were in Christ. Um, Not the guilt, not the shame, not the condemnation. That's the reality in which we live. And the irony is is that that is the only true motivation that will empower you to pursue holiness, to follow Christ. And, and to be more like Jesus is because he loves you even as he loves Jesus. So, y'all, if our adoption from God isn't informing our worship, our work, our, our lives, then we don't really understand the gospel very well. Um, the, the very thing that sets us apart from Jews and it sets us apart from mere religious people is that God is our loving, heavenly, as we heard this morning from Emma, good, good father. But not only does this reality set us apart as beloved children, second takeaway, it's also a confession that we never graduate from our neediness. You know, I always thought as I, one time, I would at some point get old enough that I would have it together, right? And that hasn't happened yet. Um, Like if God is our Father, and we really believe that, like, like, we really believe that God is Father. And we really believe that we are His blood-bought, like sealed in Jesus' blood, adopted and loved children. Then that means that we can drop the act, right? That, that we can, like, dispel all these kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I've got it together. And we can just be honest. And I'm not talking about the few sins that Christians feel like we're, <laughs> that we can be honest about. Sins like, you know, it's the Christian sins. Like, I just work too much and... I'm too humble. I'm, I'm just, you know, I've, I worry a little bit. I've got a hard time with boundaries. You know, those are the things we'll confess with each other, right? But no, if God is your Father, then that means we can go there. And, and the church is the place where we can go there. Like, we can go to the, the deepest sins, the deepest fears and doubts, and we can cry out for forgiveness and rest and peace. You know, it could be, look, if it's not true, then, I mean, what are we doing? Because I don't know about you, like, I don't want to be part of a church that just kind of pretends church. Because we can go pretend a lot of other things that are a lot more fun than pretending church, right? But if it's real, then it's, it's real. And so let's do that. You know, the parable of the prodigal son, 
<laughs> when, you know, he went off. And when he finally came to his senses, he was called back. He came back home. The very first word out of his mouth was, Father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. And you know what happened? Not only did the father forgive him, but the father then turned and threw him a huge party. Which I think that's telling of, of God's... God, what's beautiful to God? It's a beautiful thing not when we act like we have it all together. But it's beautiful when we're honest about our need and we draw to him, to the father in repentance... And the fact that God is our good, good father is amazing because, what's well, Mr., none of us have it together. And we all have sins that, that have gone unchecked in our lives. Yes, we're, we're constantly mortifying, which means we're starving off sin. We're making this big sin in our life smaller by the power of the Spirit. But we all still have sins that have left our souls maimed. And we, our soul limps for years. And so our father doesn't say, get out of my face, you loser. But no, he knows our baggage. And he knows the sins that have our number. And in grace, he didn't say, you better shape up or you're going to ship out. No, he sent rescue. And we find out later in Luke that Jesus Christ, like he came to seek and to save, not the like do good tryharders but like the lost. And he showed up, and Jesus came to, to us in this condition, and he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, I will give you rest. And so we don't have to hide, we, we don't have to cover up. In, in Christ, we are forgiven and loved. I, I think I've shared that one lady after getting the gospel for the first time. Remember what she said? She said, this means I don't have to dye my hair anymore, right? The fact that my heavenly father loves me means I don't have to perform for man anymore. And it's rest for the weary soul, even something as small as that. But even that's not all. Third, seeing God as our father, it invites us into awe. It invites us into worship. You know, if you have a hard time worshiping, then chances are you don't see God as your father. Chances are you see him kind of as your landlord. You, know, you kind of got to keep the place clean when he's around. Um, you see him as your Santa Claus, maybe just this vague deity. And if you're bored at worship, it, it, please know that it's not because God is boring or because the gospel message is, <laughs> is boring. Uh, no, it's probably because just you are boring, okay? Um, Tim Keller says, ask a religious person if they're a Christian, and they'll say something like, well, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church, read the Bible, I do all the things. Of course, of course I'm a Christian, of course. But then he says, ask a, an actual Christian if they're a Christian, and they'll say probably with a smile, I, I, I know, right? I, I, can't, I can't believe it either. But I am, by God's grace. Y'all, the God of the universe who made everything out of nothing, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the ten plagues and the Red Sea. The God of the glory cloud. The, the God who showed himself to Daniel as the Ancient of Days. The God who, in whom no one can stand before face to face and live. Because of Jesus, invites us to call him 
I mean, talk about inspiring, right? Awe-inspiring. <laughs> the, the, the invitation to behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so when we pray, Abba, Father, um, not only are we owning, we're owning God's love for us, but our souls are being stoked and, and awakened to worship. And that's how we can sing this morning, which we sang so well. Like, like that's how we can sing when Satan tempts me to despair, right? Those weeks that you're just like, you're not in a good place at all. When he tempts you to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Like those aren't just words that we sing. Like that's either truth or it's not. But if it's true, then by golly, it's amazingly true. And that's our story. Like that's our autobiography as family members of the king. So it's an invitation into awe and worship. Which then brings us to our fourth takeaway, very brief True prayer is an invitation into community. You know, Jesus, he chose his words very carefully here in Matthew and Luke. It's, it's a plural prayer. And um, Jesus doesn't pray, he doesn't say, pray to my father. If you're lucky, he can be your father. He doesn't say, pray to your father. But he says, pray our father. Give us each day. And so if God is our father, that means that there's no such thing there's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There's no such thing as just kind of you and Jesus sitting under a tree or whatever the thing is, like you just kind of doing your thing with Jesus. Um, that, that faith in following Christ is best done with brothers and sisters. And, and by the way, you know, this bond, it transcends race and creed and ethnicity and, cu and culture. Kevin Young said, we should see or we should hear the hour when we pray the Lord's Prayer and think, this is what we get to do with other believers on a regular basis. So true prayer invites us into gospel community, which then brings us to our, our final takeaway. The fact that God is our Father gives us enduring and unshakable security. Um, you know, little, little kids, right? Little kids, we always think our dads are so strong, right? Um, to Sophie... Growing up, it's not like this anymore, but growing up, I was like the Blue Power Ranger and Clifford the Big Red Dog all together. And I, yes, sadly, I don't think she views me like that anymore, um, quite like that. But, but back then, she had like total confidence in her daddy. And we'd be in our backyard, and she would just like launch herself unannounced off of the, you know, the tree branch, uh, just with reckless abandon because she trusted that her Power Ranger Clifford dad would catch her right and you know little children it's beautiful that little children typically don't leverage for control um typically they don't rest in their own abilities they they, they simply trust their parents to take care of all that okay when we say that god is our father and this is a radical declaration but we're declaring that we're the child in this relationship we're saying that we can trust him like that with complete self-forgetfulness. 
and reckless abandon. It says David wrote in Psalm 56, Lord, when I'm afraid, I, I put my trust in you. See, all when we're worried about the future and about the farm, about the economy, about the you know, relationship stuff at school, when we're worried about our health, when we're full of anxiety and we're in situations where we have no control but we want it so bad. As God's children, when we call God Father, we're confidently declaring with the psalmist that the, the Lord is our refuge and our fortress. Our God in whom we trust. For He will deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover us with His pinions and under His wings we will find refuge. It's okay to be a child there. Therefore we will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Y'all, because God is our loving Father, we can know that there is no good thing that He will withhold from His children. As the little boys, little boys take such pride in their dads. You know, for, for a dad to show their four-year-old son their bicep, I mean, you can be the weakest dad ever, right? But a four-year-old see your bicep, and he's like, you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Gah, amazing. C.J. Montgomery, man, you're, you're C.J. Montgomery. Um, you know, kids are all, they're joking. Whose dad could beat up who? Who's, who could arm wrestle who? You know, well, when we pray Abba Father, like, we're not only saying that our good, good father is a loving father, but we're also saying, you know, that our dad can beat up your dad. And when we're saying our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do, right? And we're saying that God's bigger than the boogeyman, and that our biggest problems are no match for him. It's unshakable, enduring security. So, y'all, true prayer, and we could say true Christianity, begins with, with this. That in Christ, God is our Father. And this morning is an invitation to come and rest like only well-loved children can. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, when we call out Father, um, may we continue to be staggered that in Christ you draw us in. Um, so Father, this, even this week, as we go out and we are busy with many things, many good things, uh, we ask that that reality, that in Christ you are our Father, uh, may that capture us stagger us, that you love us even as you love Jesus, and may that even motivate us, compel us uh, to pursue holiness in joy. Uh, so Father, we thank you for not leaving us alone, but teaching us to pray. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.